Um, I want to talk to you about the Olympics just a little bit. This has nothing to do with the sermon or anything else. Um, you know, Brian Clay won the decathlon. He did grow up in our church uh, up, up through early years of high school. And uh, we're extremely proud of him. But the first two people to ever be members of Hope Chapel at all are named Mickey and Susie Hall. Uh, Ruby and I were at Susie's mom's house. We knew Susie when she was a little girl. Um, her mom wasn't really walking with the Lord, uh, but we were friends with her older brother. And so we were over at the house, and we were hanging out, and, and, and Susie and Mick had found the Lord a few weeks before at another church, and then they heard we were starting a church. And, and they, 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 they got real embarrassed and shy, and, and they go, well, we were wondering, would it be okay if we came to your church? I mean, it's like, what? You know, okay. I, I, I mean, the, the whole church is her and I and Carl, who's six months old at the time. Yeah, you can come to our church. So the first official meeting of the church was the day that, that Ruby and I and Susie and Mickey got together and cleaned out the empty building that we had inherited. And uh, it, it just, they, they're wonderful people. Mickey was a really good baseball player. Uh, he was number one in the pitching rot rotation at Pepperdine. Uh, won the, the, uh, the, the College World Series of Baseball. Uh, the guy that was number two behind him in the rotation, they both got drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Four years later, that guy won the last game of the World Series. Uh, Mickey, four years later, was in Australia because he felt God called him out of baseball to be a junior high school teacher. Today, he's a, a, a teacher and a track coach in Big Bear, California. And most of you don't follow cross country, but they have a big cross country meet in Hawaii and they invite people from all over the U.S. And every time those guys have shown up, uh, they've, they've gone home with 80% of the medals. And this guy is an incredible coach, an incredible teacher. All of his kids are great athletes. But if you're watching the Olympics this week, watch for Ryan Hall. He's the fastest long-distance runner in the history of America. Uh, he got the flu in the Beijing Olympics and, and did real poorly. Uh, he was all over Runner's World and all those magazines. But when you're watching it this week, you know, I was at the doctor's office with my wife the other day, and U.S. volleyball teams were on there, and I was just kind of reading a book and watching. Uh, just watch for Ryan Hall, because he's Hope Chapel, too, and I thought you guys would appreciate that. Is that good? So, anyway, I told you it had nothing to do with anything, but we're talking about relationships tonight, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, uh, the, the, the first verse as we get started. And it actually kind of um, deals with some negative stuff, and, uh, and, and yet there's a positive spin on it. But I, I was just thinking as I was trying to figure out how do I get into this message and, 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 and how do I start out. I, and, and so I, I just was thinking of my own relationships, and I, and I was thinking of uh, just the last uh, 36 hours of my life. Um, yesterday morning I had breakfast with a man who used to be on our church staff, uh, one of our pastors, and, and when the shootings went on at the Xerox Corporation and all those people lost their lives, he felt that God called him to leave our church and go to Xerox and pastor the people in that company. And he went down there, and the uh, uh, first week, if I've got it right, sometimes I get things a week or two off, but right off the bat, early in the morning, he went into the room, the conference room where it was a scary place, and just sat there real early in the morning before anybody came to work, just singing worship songs, trying to fill the place with the Spirit of the Lord. And he got caught by the lady he was afraid he'd get caught by. And uh, rather than the negative ex experience he thought he was going to have, 
she begged him to come and do this every week because she was so concerned for the people in the company. Uh, God has prospered him. He's prospered the relationships in the company with him. But he went on and, and, and started a ministry, a noontime, basically a noontime church on Wednesdays. And uh, I was there and spoke once. And, and it was about 120 people were there the day that I was there. And it was a kind of a deal. Everybody just bring a, a lunch, brown bag, whatever. They got some empty space in a building downtown that was just not rented. So it was just kind of tore up. And, uh, and people would just go there and, and, and they would have church. And, it, and, and for many people, it was the only church that they went to. In fact, he was telling me yesterday, a lot of the people he's involved with are like single moms who are so busy on the weekend, they can't hardly make it ever to a Sunday morning service. So they go to church uh, where they got to walk two blocks down to, to do this. And that thing now is being run by Elwin Ahu. Remember when we had Elwin come and speak for us? And they're running it on Thursdays, and they're doing a very good job of keeping it not a part of their church like we own this thing. It's just something for the, the community. And my friend Wendell is out doing ministry with other small groups where he says, I've got a little different philosophy. And what I'm doing is I try to get a, a person and then I try to get their friends in their company or their friends in their building who they're going to interface with five days a week. And I start a little pocket church or a little micro church amongst those people. And he's just ministering to those people. And it's just like, I, I, you know, you just, sometimes you just look and you think, wow, when we have a life that is committed enough to God that we're able to move, because I, I bring all this back to the faithful day that I stood on the deck out there, and my dear friend told me I'm going to resign from my job, and he was one of my favorite people on staff, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm dying inside, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm half mad at him. And, and, and half grieving, and just grieving. I, I, I want to lose a guy that I love being around. And then I sit there yesterday and I hear this stuff and it's like, oh my gosh, do you think he heard the Lord? Absolutely, he heard the Lord. I mean, this is phenomenal stuff. Thank you for obeying. And then yesterday afternoon, I, I, I met another guy. I, I never knew him. I, I met him about a month ago and, and uh, a week or so ago, he emails me and He's a Christian guy. He's a businessman. And uh, he kind of provides back office support for, for people in the medical field. In other words, um, like, like he hires their employees away from them and then leases them back, which means that they work for his company so he can qualify for a great big huge medical group insurance thing. And, and then he does paperwork and tax work for them. And, you know, and, and, and so he's come up with this idea of, of he wants to do this for churches. And so he's, he's creating a, I mean, the guy, by the way, has an MBA from a little college you might have heard of called the University of California at Berkeley. And, um, and so he, he's telling me how I want to just do this for, for the Lord. I just want to create a nonprofit that will just bless pastors. Uh, and, and he's thinking of guys in churches like ours, and it would be a blessing, but we're pretty covered. It's these guys that, that are out there that are pastoring 80 to 150 people that really, really, really need support. But as he's, he, he had this kind of made a PowerPoint thing, but we saw it on paper, and he's showing me these levels of service that we could offer. It, as, as, as you start to cover the basic mechanical things that churches have to do, it starts to get up into mentoring pastors. And he's thinking about guys that maybe got the, enough steam that they could pastor a thousand people, but nobody is fathering them. Nobody's inputting them, and they'll probably never get there on their own. And he's figuring out ways that he could do this in, 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 in ways of 
bringing funding to this. And it's like, oh my gosh, this, this is really, really, really cool. You know, where people start to have vision. I had a, a, a meeting today. I, I, uh, I see a doctor because of my anxiety problem that I had so many years ago. And I, I see him every six months. And uh, he's not a member of any church or anything. But, uh, you know, I wrote this little book called Defeating Anxiety. By the way, several people have asked. It's only available through Amazon Kindle. But if you go to Amazon and type in f free Kindle reader, uh, you can read it on your computer or on your phone or on your eye, whatever, and it'll, it's free. Uh, the book isn't free. The book costs four bucks, but the, the, the thing is free. But my doctor got all excited that I wrote a book about anxiety, and, 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 he, and he gets all kind of shy, and he goes, well, um, would, I, would, would it be okay if I, if I read it? And, and I'm going to read it. And then he goes, but if I recommend it to, to some of my patients, would that be okay too? And I go, yeah. And, and I, I go, I, I wrote a whole bunch about you in there. And he goes, oh, well, then I have, you know, these confidentiality issues. I, I don't want, you know, to, to betray a confidence. If people figure out that I recommended the book, maybe I'm your doctor. I go, tell them, because I tell everybody in the world, go see you. And, and uh, but, you know, just relationships. God wants to work in relationships in so many ways. Um, tonight, as, as I was standing outside the door of church, Stand up. Come on, stand up. Just you. Your family doesn't have to. Just you. He's terrified I'm going to make him come up here on the platform and, and talk. This is Ross Yamauchi, and he's a missionary in Hope Chapel in where? West Tokyo. West Tokyo. What town? Tanashi. Tanashi. Oh, West Tokyo. Oh, West Tokyo. West Tokyo, okay. Which is hard as heck to get to uh, if you're staying in, 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 in Tokyo. But he, he, he's one of our first, you can sit down. He's one of the first guys that we ever sent to Japan uh, 100 years ago uh, <laughs> when, when he was actually young. <laughs> and, um, uh, it, it, you know, he led a bunch of young girls to the Lord. I mean, you know, handsome guy, teaches in a girl's high school English class. So what a setup. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, you know, I go over there, and there's like 16 of these girls come to this church that we're with. And it's an old, kind of tired, dead church, actually, and at the time, and and they're all coming. But his 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 first convert uh, is is married to the guy named Ohigashi that we've introduced you to, uh, the, and they've started like uh, over 80 churches in India now, out of a little tiny church in Sapporo, and uh, and that comes out of Ross's ministry. His church is ministering to 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 a lot of street people, uh, very poor people. And what they're seeing is people actually get their lives repaired, get back together, find jobs, get married, be a contributing part of society. Uh, many of them are people who, in rebellion to the overworked culture in Japan, uh, years ago said, I'm not doing this, and just flat dropped out and, and, and took, you know, they what is it, the 3D jobs? Dirty, dangerous, and depressing. Anyway, uh, people just kind of opted out for that lifestyle, and, and, and these guys are, are repairing them. When we're hitting on all cylinders, and we're healthy as, as followers of Jesus Christ, and we together as a church are healthy as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, wondrous things happen. Really, really wondrous things happen. Today also, I watched a, 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 a tragedy unfold on the internet, on Facebook. Uh, a church that I'm familiar with in, in California. Um, there was a guy who used to attend the church 
and was real involved in the church, and he's a real flamboyant personality. He's, he's a real funny guy. I know him. He's really a nice man. Um, later on, uh, declared that he is gay. And they had a big reunion thing at the church apparently last night. And uh, he showed up. And everybody was nice to him, and he was nice to them, and he had a really good time. And, and uh, he actually wrote on Facebook about how the Holy Spirit led me to go to this thing, and I was so blessed that I went. And then some idiot starts attacking the church and attacking him, attacking him for who he is and attacking the church for loving him as he is. And so this thing called Christianity and church can work really, really, really well when it works. And it really is poor when it doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's, it's emotionally, mentally, spiritually poverty-stricken when it doesn't work. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, 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 and we've all seen it. We've all seen it be healthy and loving and just embracing people where they're at and, and God's grace poured out in people's lives. But we've also seen the other thing that comes off and, 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 and wants to beat people up and destroy people's lives. And so as we're looking here in Second in Corinthians, Paul is writing a corrective letter. And he's writing to a church that, as you read 1 Corinthians, you, you find there's kind of two themes that go through the first letter of Corinthians. We, we actually believe there were four letters to, to, to the Corinthian church and that we have two of them and that the number one we didn't have. We used to think there were three letters. That, we, that, that Scholars used to think there was 1 Corinthians, then there was the painful letter, that's what it's called, in 2 Corinthians, and then there's 2 Corinthians. But there's, that now they, they believe there's, there's a, a fourth letter, there's the first letter. And, and what we read is, is 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, which is really 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians. Do, am I confusing you yet? I'm trying really hard. And in, in why we read what we read is that the early Christians, these letters, it, it said, last week we read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this letter is written to the church at Corinth and to the churches throughout Macedonia. In other words, I'm writing, or throughout Greece, I'm writing to you a specific thing that's for you, but I expect you to circulate the letter around. They didn't have Facebook, they didn't have email, they didn't have the internet. Uh, Paul would start a church, it would take maybe six months for a letter to get to that church and six months for a letter to get back. Uh, they, they, they had to trust the Holy Spirit a whole lot. But as you read what is, so, so what we get in our Bible is 200 years later, a, a bunch of bishops get together and they, and they look at the writings of the church fathers. And they go, which of these writings has God used to speak to us these 200 years? And they select out of them and they pull them together, and that's what's called the New Testament. The word testament means the covenant with God, the new covenant. Am I making sense when I say that? So it wasn't like somebody wrote the Bible. It wasn't like somebody just goes arbitrarily, Let's, we'll pick this, we'll throw that out. What they did was, over the years, the, the, my four things, remember? Number one, dropped out of sight. Number three, dropped out of sight. And it leaves number two and number four, which three or four hundred years after that, somebody names 1 Corinthians and, and 2 Corinthians. They should have called it 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians if they would have, you know, but they didn't know. Am I making sense? 
Now, that's free. That's not the sermon. <laughs> but in 1 Corinthians, what you get is there's two themes that are in 1 Corinthians. One is love and the lack of it. You know, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is this beautiful, beautiful portrayal of God's love toward us and the kind of love that we ought to have toward other people. But if you read in the first part of 1 Corinthians, what you read is this stupid church had divided itself. I follow this leader. I follow this leader. I don't like you because you follow that guy. And, and Paul goes, this is really nuts. You guys got to get this thing straightened out. And so there's, there's, there's problems in the church in Corinth that have to do with, with misunderstanding of love, uh, even when they're trying to do it right, and then lack of love when they're not doing it right. On the other hand, what you read about in 1 Corinthians is for some reason, and I never can explain this, for some reason, in the midst of their goofed upness, there's a lot of miracles going on. God's answering prayer, and, and to the point that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul has to write to them and sort of commend them. In chapters 12, 13, and 14 together, they're a unit, and he's saying, hey, this is good stuff going on here, but you guys are acting pretty strange. You know, God's blessing, the miraculous is happening, but you're out to lunch. You're acting like fanatical idiots. And if somebody walks into your meeting, they're going to think you're all crazy and you're not reflecting God at all. He's not decrying the miracles in any way. He's endorsing the miracles. But when people got weird about them, he's saying, knock off the weirdness. Am I making sense? So, t so the, both letters are corrective. And, uh, you know, I haven't even gotten into the sermon yet, and I've already used up so much of my time, I can't believe it. Um, but as we get into this, uh, he, it starts out talking about pain and, and, and love. It's in, it, we call the first part of this, love is honest. It says, Paul, Paul writes and says, I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. In other words, he had, he had started the church. Uh, we know about that. We read about that in the book of Acts. Then he had come back and visited, and apparently he had confronted them, and it had been a painful time. And then he says, for if I cause you grief, who's going to make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter. Later on, he mentions it in, in a couple chapters later, and he calls it the painful letter. In other words, the letter between what we read as 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. In other words, I had to write some things that were in your face. And I, all I really wanted to do was to get you right to where God can bless you, for you're blessable. And I didn't want to bum you out. I didn't want to hurt you. And it, it grieved me even to write the words. But I, what I want you to know most of all is that I love you, that I care for you. I'm willing to confront you, but I want you to know how much love I have for you. And this gives me a couple of scriptures. And if you've got a pen, you might want to write this in the margin of your Bible. Two verses. Uh, just write down the address. Don't look there. I, I think they're going to put it on the screen behind me. Psalm 141, verse 5. Uh, the psalmist writes and says, let the godly strike me. That's an interesting thing to say. <laughs> let the godly bust me in the chops. You know, what's that all about? And then he says, it will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. He's praying to God, 
And he's saying, when I get messed up, let godly people take a whack at me because that'll be a kindness because it'll straighten my life out and it'll be soothing to my soul. It'll, it'll bless me. And oh, by the way, when they come after me, don't let me refuse what they have to say. Let me accept their words because they're, they're, they're good. Like, you know, did you ever have to take medicine when you're a kid today? Most medicine is sugar-coated or at least benignly coated. Uh, when I was a kid, there was stuff that was hard to get down your throat, you know. But it was good for you. And uh, as bad as it was, I mean, we still do have NyQuil, right? Um, nasty, nasty stuff. But when you got a really bad cold, it's, it, it, it's good for you. So he's saying, when, 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 when bitter medicine comes my way, it's still medicine. Let me be smart enough to take it in. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, it, it's kind of giving these wisdom statements. And it says, don't bother correcting mockers. They'll only hate you. If somebody is mocking what you stand for, and, 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 and that's part of what they're doing wrong, then just keep your mouth shut because you're not going to do any good at all by even trying to talk to them. Don't bother correcting mockers. They'll only hate you. But correct the wise, and they'll love you. Correct the wise, and they'll thank you for it. They'll love you. Instruct the wise, and they'll become even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they'll learn even more. And so Paul is about the business of trying to go to a church that he sees great value in, but it's confused. It's goofed up. And he's trying to straighten them out and, and get them back on the right kind of track. Then he talks about confrontation and restoration. Restoration being the goal. He says in verse 5, I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Now, what man is this who caused all the trouble? Well, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, in the first part, you read about the church being divided against each other. In chapter 5, you read about a guy who's committing incest. And the church, in the name of love, is, is going, oh, wow, you know, we love you just the way you are. Fine. You know, we, we used to have signs around here that say, we promise to love you as is. Well, for us, that love would include correction. That love would include saying, hey, knock it off here. You know, this is wrong. And when my children were young, I loved them, and so I disciplined them as well as bought them things. And, and, and with these people in Corinth, for them, their idea of love was anything goes. And so you got a guy who's committing incest, and a whole chapter of, the, of what we call 1 Corinthians is written to basically come down and say this. And he, he lists a whole bunch of sins, but he starts with this one. And then he says, people who are doing these things, here's my instructions. Refuse to fellowship with them. Don't even eat with them. Don't talk with them. Cut them off. And then he says a, a, a terrifying thing when you look at it at first glance. Turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their body. And then the last part of it says, so that their soul could be saved. In other words, you in prayer, assuming that the church itself the family of God, not the building or whatever. But the church itself provides kind of a spiritual covering or protection over somebody. Remove that covering from them so that they're out there on their own. And, you know, I've prayed that prayer over people before. And, and, and watch them. My friend Ernie Hunt will tell you, uh, Ernie does the, the, the recovery ministry around here, that, that the whole deal is about people got to bottom out. You know, people that are into drugs or people that are into alcohol or into perverted sex, they're not going to change until they get to the point where they're absolutely 
shot with what they're doing. And so when you pray and you turn somebody over to Satan, what usually happens is they score whatever it is that they're into really good and really lots until they're just up to their eyeballs in it and they can't take it anymore. And, and, and it's defeated them so much that they're willing to call it to God and they're willing to repent. Am I making sense? So he says these really hard words, but in 1 Corinthians, when he said them, he's saying them in love so that this person will get restored to where they need to be with the Lord. And so he says here, as he talks about it, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Uh, most of you opposed him. That was punishment enough. In other words, you did what I said. You opposed him. You pushed him out. You wouldn't talk with him. You wouldn't fellowship with him. That was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Why would he say that? Well, because the guy repented. The guy is sorry for what he did. He, he wants to live a godly life. And apparently these people, you know, I read First and Second Corinthians. I, all I think of is the word excess. You know, you, you, you discipline the guy, and then when he repents, you keep on disciplining him. Excess. Paul's saying, no, no, he repented. Now you're supposed to love and comfort him, bring him back in, and, and be the kind of people that you're supposed to be. Most of you opposed him. That was punishment enough. Now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement, depression, anguish. Don't want that to happen. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you'd fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. He's, he doesn't want the devil to, to entrap us. And he's saying that he has authority to forgive. Notice this. When you forgive, I forgive, and I forgive with the authority of Christ. Now, if we just stopped right there, you'd go, Woo, this guy is something else. He's got the authority of Christ, and he can forgive as though it was Jesus forgiving. Um, but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 it says this, Jesus is talking to the whole church. And he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Another place he says to them very directly, who you forgive, I forgive. In other words, you and I, when we forgive, we are forgiving with the authority that Jesus has and that he comes alongside and restoration happens. So apparently... Logically, think about this. When somebody has hurt you, done something wrong to you, and you've confronted it, and they've repented, then there's a step that God's asking, and that's for you to forgive. For you to come in there and to, in the authority that the Lord gives you, to forgive them. And somehow, logic would tell me, I don't want to make a doctrine out of it, but logic would tell me, if I refuse to forgive, then I become an obstacle to this person and their relationship with God. I'm actually hurting them in their relationship with God. I need to get to a place where I forgive. And the scripture that I just read said, you need to get to a place where you forgive so God will forgive you. But also, I need to get to get a place where I forgive so that God's free to forgive them and they get the benefit that's supposed to be theirs. Um, going on down in verse 12, Paul, Paul kind of winds it up here, and he says, When I came to the city of Troas to preach the gospel, <clears throat> the good news of Christ, 
the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. But I had no peace of mind because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. Now think about what he's saying here. I went to a place called Troas, and when I got there, I was ready to preach, and God had opened a super wonderful door of opportunity. But in my brain, I'm worried about you guys. And so I haven't heard yet back from Titus, and so I said goodbye to the opportunity the Lord had provided me, and I went off and I went to where I could find Titus. Now, why would that be? Well, that would be because Paul's a human. And he's not a superhuman, and he's a guy who's trying to do the Lord's work, but these people are in some kind of trouble over here. He sends Titus with a letter. He's waiting to get an answer back. He hasn't heard back. He can't get his mind on what the Lord's called him to do and so until he goes and finds Titus and gets the issue resolved in his own heart. In other words, our, our, our behaviors uh, affect other people. You know, I, I was talking to... Uh, a young pastor this week, and uh, he's in a situation where some people had uh, said some really nasty things about the church that he pastors, and they, they, they said them real publicly and, uh, and, and emailed it, and, and they were all wrong things. And I, I, I've been around this thing long enough that I know that from time to time stuff like that's just going to happen. Uh, and, and I just sort of go, well, consider the source. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, sorry. But that's just the way I am. But he's young enough into it that when somebody says nasty things about the church that he pastors and, and criticizes and, and you know, emails it all over the universe, he's, he's, it, it takes him down. It takes him down. And when I talked to him, he was hurting. He was depressed because of, of somebody's unjust statements that had gone on around him. We need to understand that our actions and our words affect not only other people, but they actually affect the kingdom of God. You wonder what you might be reading in the New Testament if Paul had stayed in Troas that day when he, the wonderful door of opportunity was opened. Would we, re, would we tonight or next week be reading from 1 Troas, the, letter, the first letter of Paul to the people in Troas? We have no idea because he didn't do anything there. And why didn't he do anything there? Because the Corinthians were out of line and it was bumming his trip and he wasn't able to do what he was supposed to do over there. And so it just never got done. And we need to realize that our, our actions, good and bad, have an impact on other people. He goes on and says, thank God he has made us his captives. Paul, several places, introduces himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, uh, a voluntary slave. He says, thank God he's made us his captives. And he continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Now, I don't know how about, I many of you guys kind of relate to this thing about my life is like a sweet perfume. I mean, give me a break. You know, uh, I don't want to take perfume. Uh, what's he talking about? Well, Actually, when, when the Roman armies would come home in victory, they were met with huge parades and this and that, and people would burn incense all over, and it splashed perfume. The ancient Romans had invented perfume. It splashed perfume on the, on the soldiers as they're marching down the street. And so 
Paul says, when we go around, we preach the, God, the good news of Jesus, and people's lives are, are changed. People that used to beat their wives stopped doing that. People that were getting drunk all the time stopped doing that. People, you know, I don't think they were smoking dope in those days, but uh, people were doing things that they ought not to be doing, quit doing it, then it becomes like a sweet perfume. And he says, but our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. To those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. Who's adequate for such a task as this? And, and so he, when he says this death and doom thing, you know, I, I, I read a lot, and, and um, I like to sometimes read what people are saying who disagree with me, just because then I know how they think. And, and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a man named Richard Dawkins who is uh, probably the most famous. Um, I'm, not, uh, he, he's an, I'm not even sure I would call him an atheist from what I've read of his writings. He's the most famous anti-God, anti-Christ person on, on the earth. He's written a lot of books. And if you would go to, you can't go to Borders anymore, right? If you would go to Barnes & Noble and you walk in their bestseller book thing, almost always there's a book by Richard Dawkins in the front of the store. He's an Englishman. And I've seen him interviewed. He's a very uh, easy-to-like person. But I read another book that quoted him. And in this book, it quoted him as saying, I don't want there to be a God because I don't want there to be a God that governs my sex life. And it's like, hey, man, you just gave away the whole house and farm when you said that. All the stuff that you've said, all the arguments that you've made, all, all of the, the philosophical statements that you've made about why you don't believe in God, you just admitted came down to you don't want there to be a God because you want to just do your own thing. Interestingly, Isaiah chapter 53 says, define sin. All of us like sheep have gone astray from God, our shepherd. Each one has gone his own way. What, you know, I'm a product of the 70s. The main thing that we all were seeing was, hey man, just, just do your thing. Just do your thing. I, that's not my thing. I'm just doing my thing. We all did our thing, but it wasn't God's thing. And here's a guy who's famous for writing very intelligent arguments against the existence of God. And then in, in an interview, he betrays himself, and he says, I just don't want there to be a God because I don't want somebody telling me I can't do my thing. And it's like, so that's what it all comes down to. In other words, the rest is kind of smokescreen. So now you understand when Paul says, to those who are being saved, uh, we're like a sweet-smelling perfume. To those who are perishing, we're the stench of death. I mean, they hate what we have to say, and now you know why. Making sense? Well, it kind of ends up, he says in verse 17, he has called himself a captive of Jesus Christ in verse 14. In verse 17, he says, you see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. We're not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching over us. We're not doing this for money. Uh, we're not doing this for fame. You know, I, I, I knew a guy who was a mu musician, and uh, so when I lived in California, 
and we would have him come and sing in our church, and he was sort of, he was, he was on his way to fame. And, um, and, and, and we were a church about this size, but there's a lot of way bigger churches in America than us. And, and, but, but for him, it was like he, he was pleased that he got to come and sing in our church, and we loved him, and we really loved his whole way he was, his spirit, everything. Well, many years went by. We'd moved here. Our church was a church of about maybe uh, 1,200 people at that time. We were at Ben Parker School. And we get a phone call, and this guy wants to come and sing in our church. And we're thinking, wow, this is cool. This is really good. You know, we love this guy. This is great. And, uh, and, and then his manager says, but we want to control all the promotion, and we want to take uh, a special offering for him that night. And so we're thinking, you're going to go out and advertise the heck out of this thing, and then you're going to hustle people for money. And that doesn't sound very good to us. And so we said, no, we will do the promotion, and we promise you, I mean, how hard is it to fill the cafeteria at Ben Parker School, right? <laughs> it just, if our whole church just showed up, because we've had so many services, right? If, if everybody in the church showed up one time, you, the, the, the cafeteria would be full and the whole yard outside. I mean, we, we, we told, we'll fill the building wall to wall, and uh, we just will pay you what you want to be paid. All well, $15,000. <gasps> $15,000? And this was like 20 years ago. I mean, it's like, for what? For singing for 40 minutes and talking a little bit? Good night. And that was the last of that relationship. It just evaporated. It's over. And... Uh, so he says, we preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. I have another companion scripture, and I, and in it, I know they're only going to have part of it on the screen because I came up with the rest of it um, on my way here in the car. It's the thing about this, right? I'm preaching out of this. I sit there during worship, changing the notes. First um, Peter chapter 5 starts out in verse 2. He's talking to elders in the church, and that, that really is talking about like, pastors, preachers, leaders. And he says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. That's what Paul's doing here. He's caring for the flock. Watch over the flock willingly, not grudgingly. Don't, don't do it like, eh, I gotta do this. Do it willingly, not grudgingly. Then he says, not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. There's two things that I see that really poison the well with a lot of upcoming young leaders. I'm always watching out for this. One, we just talked about money. I talked to a guy not too long ago who w is beginning to be asked to travel around and speak. And he was concerned that he would go to one place and they wouldn't only pay him so much and he would go to another place and they would pay him a lot more. And I, and I stopped him. I said, you know, it's not about that. I took the longest trip of my whole life last year. I, I, I went as far away as you can go on the planet from here, and that's to South Africa. I was at the southern tip of Africa. And then I went all the way up east into Arabia, and then I flew all the way across Africa to the west side of Africa, and, and, I, and, and, and where I was at in the southern tip, they didn't pay me anything. I don't expect to be paid anything. When I went over to the other place, there's 128 guys there. They're dirt poor. I mean dirt poor. And they took an offering after the, the three days thing and, and, and gave me an offering. And they were so thrilled 
uh, that they were able to do something nice. It was a hundred dollars. It was a hundred dollars, and and you know what? That hundred dollars to me is like ten thousand dollars. I don't do this to get paid. I I, I I try to go places where nobody will go, and I actually try to go where there's only about thirty-five guys and and less because you can interact and you can really get something done. If you got a big crowd, you can't interact very well. Am I making sense? And so I, I see money as a, as, a, as a possible downfall for leaders in the church of the Lord. But he, when he says, don't do it for what you can get out of it, uh, he goes on and says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Don't lord it over people. The other thing that's a downfall of leadership is, is pride of position. I don't want to ever lead from my position. In other words, I have a title, so you better do what I say. I don't, I don't want to be that. I want to lead from my life. Is is I, I, I live my life this way, and that gives me a, enough integrity and authority that you're going to want to listen to what I have to say, and you're going to want to do something because I said it because you actually saw reality here. Uh, that, that I, don't, I don't lead with a big stick. Am I making sense? And and I see, I, I, I see guys that, you know, they're, they're into numbers. I, I, I mean, I'm into numbers. I'm really into numbers. I, I, I'm into control. I'm really into control. Uh, you know, I, I see these authority churches where the pastor is, I am God, you do what I say. Uh, and, 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 and I chew those guys out whenever I get a chance. But I, I, but I always come back and say, but I'm a more high control person than you are. Because I want to teach people how to think. And then I don't have to worry about what they do. I'm not going to run around telling people what they can do and what they can't do. If you can teach them how to think, then you control all their behaviors. Am I making sense? So you just teach values. I mean, when Carl did the, the, the vision may thing, what's he doing? He's teaching values. There's the why, and then there's the what. And if you put the what first, then you've got to run around and, and worry about everybody's behaviors. But if you put the why first, then the behaviors that flow out of the why, the what, are going to be healthy and good. So if you control the value input, you're looking really good. Things are really sweet. But you don't do that with demands. You do that with example. Am I getting there with that? And so um, th this, this thing about, I just don't want to get into being an authority church. The other thing about numbers, I started to talk about numbers, is, is I know some guys that are just into, I want to pastor the biggest church that I can pastor. But if you really want to reach the world, you give away people, you give away leaders, you give away money, you start churches. Uh, we, we, we've been telling people for 10 years or so that we know that there's over 700 Hope Chapels. We were just in Phoenix, Arizona, and we found out one guy from a little town in, in New Hampshire has been doing ministry in the Philippines. There's 300 more churches there. That's an awful lot of people when you start to stack it up. I would never in my life pastor a church that would have the total numbers of what over a thousand churches around the world have in them. Am I making sense to you? You know, I look at Wayne Cordero, and th th that that's a big, huge church over there. But you know what? Those guys have planted churches all over this island, and they've planted churches all over in Asia, and they've planted churches in the mainland, and it's one of the few guys that I see that's pastoring a great big church that's also planted a whole bunch of churches. You don't usually see that thing happen, and, I, and it's like hats off to New Hope, huh? Uh, they're doing a great job. Uh, 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 Fernando 
uh, Castillo in, in New Hope Diamond Head, one of the finest men that I know is a product of that ministry over there. And you got vision running out of his ears. They're right now in the process of planting two churches. So whatever Wayne was doing rubbed off on Fernando, and hopefully it's rubbing off on those other guys, and that's how the job's going to get done. But if I get all kind of sucked up into I want to be big, well, then I got pride of position, and there's a problem with that, and we want to just start, sort of stay away from that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's why we do stuff like Vision May, uh, so that we kind of stay on track and, and, and stay in focus as to who we are and what we're all about. So you may not have gotten a whole lot personally out of this tonight in terms of you may not be doing incest. That was a joke. You could laugh. <laughs> be polite. Um, you, you, you may not be sitting around going, I follow this guy, I don't follow this guy. You know, that, that may not be your issue. Uh, but you may have some issue of forgiveness going on in your life. There may be somebody that you're struggling with. Uh, there may be some talking that needs to get done. Uh, there, there, there just may need to be some healing that gets done. There may be somebody that's wronged you and they've come and asked for forgiveness and you've just gone, I can't. Um, you know, it, 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 sometimes people don't want to be forgiven. I understand that. But when somebody repents, well, then you, you, you go with the flow here. Uh, but, but above all that, there's just the basic lessons here of how to be a healthy church. And that's what we're really after tonight is how to be a healthy church. When, when we need the lesson, it'll come in handy because we've got it in our back pocket someplace. Am I making sense? Good, because I'm done. I went eight minutes over time. They're going to shoot me. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your son, Jesus, and we thank you for who you are in our lives because you're always there for us. We thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. We thank you mostly that your son died on the cross. And we don't fully understand this, but we, but we do understand it. That we all, like sheep, turned away from you. And we dishonored you. And somehow honor is restored through somebody dying. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that Jesus dying on that cross and raising from the dead somehow made it possible for you to forgive and embrace us, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we want to live like people who are thankful that we've been forgiven. Lord, we, we want to live our lives in a way that reflect your love and your forgiveness and your grace and your kindness to the world around us. Let us be who you want us to be. I'd like you to keep your eyes closed a little bit longer, and, and I always like to just end service with a prayer that's for just a few people, um, because most everybody in this room has prayed this prayer one time or another, and God has answered the prayer in their life. And this is for people who are going, I know that my life isn't where it needs to be. I'm not living close to God, and, and I would like to be there. And what you need to know is the only way that you can get there is by praying. And... It's the easiest thing in the world. You just pray. You just ask God to come into your life and begin to communicate with you, and you, and you tell him, I'm, I'll listen. I want to be whatever you want me to be. And, and so if you would like to join me in a prayer to invite the Lord into your life, uh, I'm going <coughs> to pray like we just did. I prayed out loud. Everybody kind of prayed along with me silently. We're going to do that. You're going to pray silently. I'm going to pray out loud. But if you're going to pray with me, 
I want you to tell me that we're praying together, and the way I'd like you to do that is I'd like you to raise your hand when I count three. Everybody around you got their eyes closed, but I got mine open. I'm doing this for two reasons. One, so I know I'm not just wasting people's time. And two, so that you have declared yourself. You you come out and go, I'm going to follow the Lord. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and you raise your hand, and then we'll pray. One, two, three. I see one man with his hand up. Who else? Okay, let's pray. God, I come to you humbly, and I admit that I haven't been walking with you, and that my life isn't what it needs to be, and I expect that if I do walk with you, my life will change. And so that's why I'm praying this prayer. I ask you to forgive me because I realize I am a person who's turned my back on you and gone off and done my own thing. And it hasn't worked. And that because Jesus died on that cross, that makes it possible for me to have forgiveness. And and Lord, I want that forgiveness. I want your grace. I want your peace in my life. I pray that you would cause your spirit to come and and dwell within my spirit. And speak to me in, in your quiet voice in the back of my mind. Begin to lead and direct me. God, help me as I crack open the Bible to, 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 to come across places in Scripture that apply to my life so that you can talk to me through that even. God, I pray that you would cause me to intersect life with other people who know you and that through their words I'll, I'll hear you also. But Lord, especially speak to me deep in my soul and I will follow. I'll do the things that you ask me to do. I'll be the person that you want me to be. And Lord, I've lived a long time and there's a lot of stuff that's damaged a lot of my life. uh, Really, I've kind of looked at it and thought it's beyond repair. And I pray to you tonight that you would begin to do a work of restoration in me uh, miraculously make my life into something really good. Make me a sweet-smelling fragrance to you. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all.